This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. As you know, more than 500,000 students across the province right now are being affected by a strike at 24 Ontario colleges. The Ontario Public Service Employees Union, representing professors, instructors, counselors, librarians, failed to reach a deal. And now they are walking the picket line. Well, that raises an interesting question. And that is, if students are out of class, if they are not allowed to take classes because the professors, instructors, whomever, are not working, what happens to their tuition that they've paid? Glad you asked. Amir Alana has started, he's helped to start, he's a Humber College student who has helped to start an online petition demanding tuition refunds for college students whose education is interrupted by the strike. Now, as of about 5 p.m. today, when I went on and looked, oh, I've just looked again here, it is basically almost right now at 80,000 people who have signed up with this petition, this online petition, which is remarkable. Again, when you consider that there are roughly 500,000 students, we're getting up to almost, we're closing in on 20% of people who are affected by this have signed this petition. Amir joins me now. Amir, thanks for doing this tonight. Well, thanks for having me. This, um, it, I got to tell you, it never dawned on me at first until I read this story and heard about this. And then, of course, I went, well, yes, of course. But it never dawned on me that you wouldn't get a refund if your school goes on strike and if you're paying fees. That, that just seemed to me to be a no-brainer. Right. And, I mean, that also kind of gets to the question as to what, what we are paying for and whether we're just paying for the outcome of, of getting the credits at the end of the semester or kind of the, the time to actually learn the material. Um, but, but more importantly, I think it speaks to a broader question is that um, in, a, in a public school system or a public college system where students are, are paying for, for learning. And of course, both, like both Greg and I, when we started the petition, we completely respect um, both sides, the employer and the employee to bargain. And that's an important right to, uh, that we have as Canadians and we completely support that process. Um, but yeah, the question really comes down to the fact that, well, when a strike happens and we're not, we're not really getting that learning, uh, how would, could we bring a student voice to that and, and really highlight how that impacts us? And, and the financial impact was a natural way to start and really start the conversation. And that was the purpose behind the petition. Now, you, do you know at this point or are you guessing at this point that you get nothing back if this strike were to persist for a while? Well, that is the, um, that's kind of the modus operandi. Uh, that's, that's how the system has worked in the past and that's likely how it would work again. Um, I think for us, the the petition was always a tool to um, push out the message that it's not okay for prolonged strikes um, to occur, period, because the people who are impacted are, are students. Um, and uh, and from what we understand, and this is complete conjecture, but when we read the kind of messages coming from college administration and, and the government, is that the only time where refunds would really be on the table or even question, a question is if uh, a student was to lose out on an entire course or an entire semester. Well, and, and the president of Fleming College, I was reading this today, up in Peterborough, uh, said no college has ever lost a full semester in Ontario because of a strike. But then he said, and if everybody just acts with maturity and understanding, all will be well, which I, to be honest, I don't know how he intended it. It sounded a little bit patronizing, quite honestly, but nonetheless... Um, Okay, so you lose a full semester, maybe you get a refund. But what happens if you lose four weeks or five weeks? And then I think it's to your point that you're saying right off the top. Like, is it just to get a credit? So can they just say, well, yeah, we missed five weeks, 
but okay, we'll give it to you anyway and go ahead. That, that, that seems to be missing the point. Right, and I think that's where, where we were going with some of that, is that um, for students, being in class and kind of the, the slow and, and, and simmering process of learning, is, is a, it takes time, and if you take away four or five weeks, and let's, let's really hope that it doesn't, doesn't get to that. Uh, we're very much hoping that it doesn't go on that long. Um, but if you take away four or five weeks out of a 13 or 14 week semester, uh, that's a huge chunk of time uh, that you would have spent absorbing material uh, as opposed to trying to force it down in a much more condensed period of time. Well, and the other question becomes, so if it could happen that they were to, let's say they were to go out for five weeks, uh, which again, we hope isn't the case, but let's say they were out for five weeks and then they could say, well, we can jam it in and still make it work. My question would be, well, then why are you not doing this all the time anyway? Let, let's take the extra five weeks and give us even more so we learn more. I, I just don't understand how you could, at the end of this, if it was for a period of time, how you could say, well, don't worry about it. It's it's just the same. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, and, and I don't think it makes sense to any of us. I think that, that no one's under including the colleges and the faculty, I'm, I'm sure that they all recognize that once it goes beyond even a week, uh, there is going to be some significant loss of quality to the semester. Uh, there, There's no doubt about that. Uh, and I think that, yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to the question, it's a public system. And let me remind you that we pay tuition, but yes. a lot of this is taxpayer funded as well. Right? Yes. No, I, so I know. That that's the other side of it. And you've paid, this is what I don't understand about this, Amir, and it's, and I, I'm, I'm glad you guys have brought up this petition and got people talking about it because you have paid for a service, which is now being denied you in any other area that I can think of. You would get a refund for that. That's that's that doesn't even have to be asked. And I, I was trying to think of one a place where we could use a similar example. And I guess the best one I can think of is if a when sports leagues have gone on strike, people who have paid for season tickets get the the games that weren't played. They get those. They get that money back. It just makes no sense that they would say, "Well, we're not really sure if you're going to get your money back." That's nonsensical. Right, and I think that that's the important question that, that's come up uh, for us through this, and I think something that we should all be discussing as a society is that the how do we kind of balance that purpose of, of labor movements and purpose of a strike? There's very important reasons that those rights exist, and we support those rights. Uh, but when the, the party affected is disproportionately a third party, uh, how, do you, how do you balance that out? Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a, an open-ended question that maybe we need to think about a little bit in our public education system. There's another thing that comes to mind, too, right away, and your, your points are great, but there's another thing that comes to mind. If, in, if your instructors or, or whoever's instructors are not instructing right now, they're not being paid. If they're on strike, they're not getting paid. But if your tuition is still coming in or still sitting there, where's that money going? Right. What's it going to? Right, Absolutely. And so, and, and again, that doesn't make any sense because I know the administrators are still working, but I, I, I don't want to believe they're getting bonuses or something for this. So they've taken your money. It's sitting there for no particular reason except that they have your money. That just does not seem right to me. Yeah, and that's, that's, you're absolutely right about that. So, I mean, the call, once the union decides to strike, they, their workers obviously take a hit. Um, and when and students take a hit, and all other colleges are not, not operating, so I imagine that there's some, some hits taken there. But, but the, yeah, there's, there's a, kind of a question missing there. There's this money that's been paid. There's taxpayer dollars that have also flowed in per student, I imagine. 
um, where is all that sitting? Yeah, this should not be an opportunity for a school to put money aside as a safety net. It's this the money that you're paying again is for something that is happening and much of it is for salaries. And if the salaries aren't being paid, that money should not be theirs. I, I just, I'm having such a hard time wrapping my head around how there's any question about this and why the schools are not saying right out front, if this goes on for a week, you'll get a week's refund. If it goes on for two weeks, you'll get two weeks refund. That just would be so much easier and, and it would make so much sense. I can't believe at the end of this either, Amir, that they would try perhaps to say that no, no refund is necessary. That, um, what are you asking for? I mean, is, is it on a per, are you literally asking for a refund per student on a per day that a strike is happening basis? That's, that's what we put together. And, and it was based on kind of an average tuition cost over the course of the two semester school year. Uh, and the number we landed on was approximately $30 a day for full-time students and $20 a day for part-time students. But once again, our, our, like, the whole purpose of the petition and, and the purpose continues to be that if there was some kind of a, uh, an agreement in place or, or an assumption in place that if there was a work stoppage, that there would be a refund per day, we our, our thinking was that perhaps that in itself would act as an added incentive and, and pressure point uh, and and that would get the bargaining process uh, upstarted and, and moving in the in the first place. So our our entire point was always about avoiding a strike altogether and minimizing it. And we said there should be some kind of a a fire that gets lit, you know, and when a, a work happens that accelerates the process. And we wanted that fire to be financial. Well, and it sounds as though, and I I hate to be a pessimist about this, but the last stories that I've been reading uh, suggest that the colleges and their instructors and the people in the union are $250 million apart, uh, which is not an insignificant amount of money, which suggests no, that unless someone really relents, this could go on for a while. It could. And I think that, um, I mean, that that number has been thrown around for quite a while. And, and I don't want to comment on exactly what it might entail, because I'm sure that <laughs> there's a lot of assumptions and calculations behind it. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's the two parties' responsibility to come to a fair deal that's fair for both um, students and employers and employees, and, and it's the government's responsibility to ensure that our education is being delivered. So uh, I understand that they say they're far apart, but um, once again, I mean, we're talking about 500,000 students in 24 public colleges. So a number like $250 million, I don't know how to really gauge whether that's big or small. If this does go on for a while, and again, hoping not, but if it does, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that they would give refunds, or do you have a thought on whether or not they would do something? Deep down, what do you think will happen? Deep down, I think that it would be very, very difficult, but we're not going to stop sending our message and, and pushing it. Where we've been it would be difficult, sorry, it would be difficult for them to give refunds? I think so. I think they'd be very unwilling. Uh, and But I think the fact that we've got 80,000 signatures and, and the pressure mounting, like um, I think it would be fairly ignorant for there to be no response at all. So we are still looking for a response from government, um, from our, our college administration, from the faculty union. We want to hear a response to the request that we've made. And I think that uh, we're going to keep pushing for that. And we're going to be meeting our MPPs and 
we've reached out to all three political parties as well. Have you are you surprised at all with the fact that you have been able to get basically well by the time we're done our interview it'll probably be eighty thousand people who have signed on to this. Absolutely, uh, I think we <laughs> to be completely honest, and uh, we were both Greg and I have a very packed school and uh, an internship schedule. And uh, and we were kind of we built this thing on the back of the napkin late one night. So we we really were looking for maybe a few thousand signatures and wanted to really raise uh, this <laughs> issue to the spotlight. And and yeah, now here we are. And the strike happened, and that's something we were hoping it wouldn't. And we're at eighty thousand. So it's been quite quite overwhelming in a way. Well, you can find this if you want to sign it, even if you're not a student, you're allowed to sign it. Uh, it's at change.org, or you can just go on Twitter with the hashtag WePayToLearn, and you will find a link to the petition. That's probably the easiest way to find it, and uh, it's very easy to sign up if you're feeling the way I do, that this is just, it's it's incredulous that there might not be. And I, again, I don't know. But I've seen nothing, and what I've read online and what I've read in stories is that the government right now is saying, well, we're not really sure at this point. And that, to me, is not nearly good enough. No, me neither. I think think they owe us a better response. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. This is your money that many people, and I don't know about you, Amir, but I would guess a vast majority of people who go to college have worked through the summertime to work to make their tuition money. And I don't even know about what, I mean, I haven't even been thinking of, if you're a, a foreign student who has come here and living here now, what happens? Because you can't work, I suppose. And the whole, the whole thing, the students deserve better. And I'm not arguing for or against the instructors or for or against the province. But like in so many other cases, there are innocent people in every school fight. There are students who get stuck on the outside. And Lemir, listen, I really, uh, I, I think it's great what you're doing, and I appreciate you starting this petition. And I hope, uh, I hope somebody at some point listens and does something because uh, obviously you've touched a nerve. It's, uh, it's a great job, Amir Alana. Thanks for doing this tonight. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for your supportive words. It's. Um, it is something that you go take a look at it, and and if you want to sign up for it, but I, I just don't understand. I, it seemed to me to be a logical, obvious, no-brainer, well, duh, kind of comment that if a company, which is what schools are essentially, if a business goes on strike or can't provide a service to someone who has paid for that service, the money is refunded. I mean, honestly, think of any business and how does it work. If you go to a restaurant and you say, I want to be, I want to eat here, and they say, I'm sorry, uh, and you pay up front or you've bought a gift certificate and they say, well, I'm sorry, we're out of food, you get your money back. They don't say, I'm sorry, you sat down, therefore we keep your money. I mean, there is, I can't think of a single industry where you could possibly say, you have paid us for a service. We are not delivering that service. Too bad, so sad, we're keeping your money. That's, that's, I don't even know what the word for that is. But I don't think it's even probably legal. I don't know. But it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like they have taken something of yours and not given you what you've paid for and then told you, by the sounds of it anyway, or at least so far, yeah, we don't know if we're going to either. That just doesn't make any sense. I don't know about you. Maybe it makes sense to you. And again, I, I want to make it clear. I'm not dumping on the professors or the instructors who are on strike. They're entitled to go on strike. 
That's in their collective bargaining agreement. That's the law of this country and its province. And I'm not dumping on the colleges per se for standing their ground and saying, no, we're not going to give you what you're demanding. But somewhere in here, someone's got to be looking out for the students. Someone has to be looking out for the students. You cannot simply write them off as collateral damage and say, well, you know, their tuition that is sitting in our bank accounts is allowing us to keep the schools warm and pay for administrator salaries and whatever else. No, if you're not providing a service, you don't get to keep the money. I'd love to hear someone from somewhere involved in this explain a different position on that. And maybe if this thing wraps up tomorrow, maybe if it's a three-day strike or a four-day strike, you go, okay, whatever. But if this thing goes two, three, four, five weeks, no way. And I hope, I hope, I hope that if it goes that long that the province, the administrators, everyone else will have figured that out by then and come up with a better answer than the kids are getting right now. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Let me bring in... Our good buddy Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Sir, how are you tonight? Ah, uh, not bad. One of those days in Canadian sports. Uh, you know, I guess it's uh, as Canadians. I know I just I speak only about sports, but it's one of those days where we do a lot of reflecting. At least I have. Let me ask you this, because there was in the first game of the NBA season last night, a guy named Gordon Hayward of the Boston Celtics, newly of the Boston Celtics. They just got him. He'd been a Celtic for about five minutes, literally suffers a truly horrendous, gruesome leg injury where, to put it just very plainly, his foot ended up bent in the wrong direction. And I want to ask you this, because I cannot for the life of me imagine why people go looking for that stuff, for injuries, to see the replay of a guy snapping his leg like that. Do, do you understand people looking for that stuff and wanting to see? Because you have to decide on a highlight whether or not to show it. Do you do you understand why people would go and look for that stuff? You know, Scott, I kind of do. And, and hear, hear, hear me out here, because I'm kind of one of those people that I want to see it. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, after last night's incident, I cut it out of the highlights. And here's why. And it was just natural for the during the broadcast that there was a shot, a live shot of him, of Haywood sitting down, and here's his fibula twisted one way, and his ankle like twisted the other, like ninety degrees, so unnatural that I couldn't show it. And I'm a person that I generally want to see it. I mean, I, I, I mean once, not multiple times. But I wanted to see it, and it was too gruesome to show. Like it's something I thought. I thought that you know what, there could be people that be, would be physically ill that saw it, and hence when you looked at the the broadcast, they shot. They did a great job. Uh, I think that was TBS of shooting the crowd and the players, and the reactions were unbelievable. It didn't matter who you were cheering for. So yeah, they've see they've they've improved. TV has definitely improved on that. And I think back, I remember watching the Monday Night Football game when Joe Theismann had his leg snapped by Lawrence Taylor, and I remember specifically 
that they went to about the 17th different angle of it showing his leg. And now we have the grass cam showing. (laughs) And they got actually dumped on for that because it was so graphic and so over the top. And I think TV learned from that and said, look, we, 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 I don't know that everybody wants to see this. No, they, and I I thought TBS did the, the, I thought they did the right thing in showing it once. It was a high camera angle from the other side of the court. So you could see, because it was an alley-oop play, so you could see what happened, um, but you didn't really see the severity of what happened to his leg. You just saw him going down certainly very awkwardly, and that's, I think that's all we really, really needed to see. Um, the live version, you can kind of tell, but and the replay, you could certainly kind of tell, and I don't blame them for actually showing, as I said, during the live broadcast when he went down, they did shoot him because he was sitting down. And Kevin Harlan, the announcer, was saying, I, he's broken his leg, he's broken his leg. He said it multiple times because I think he was even shocked at the way, I guess from where his broadcast location was, he could easily see that his leg was just in, in, you know, pointing in directions that just weren't natural. Do you so if you are someone who like who wants to see this? Because as I say, I, I have a hard time, and I know that like last night, Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else, you couldn't go on it if you didn't want to see it because people were just firing this thing out there. There was video of it; you had to look away. What what's the reason? It helped me, if, and for those other people who don't like it, why why do we want to see this stuff? Um, you know, I guess from my perspective, I just I want to see it. Like I just I I. I I don't know if that's, I don't know, a, a curiosity in me or a sickness in me <laughs> or, 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 you know, I'm just so nosy. I, I don't know what it is, but I need to see it once to see exactly from my very own eyes what exactly happened and what the end result was. But I'll tell you, I, and, and I have the video right here on my computer where, you know, for, you know, the game that was recorded last night, uh, I, I, I have looked at obviously because I had to show and we did an update today on on sports of what exactly the diagnosis is you know is but I I can't I I won't look at the actual raw footage of you know what the end result was I I just can't it it's it is I mean for those I mean that are squeamish I would never look at that I uh, see I've again I've seen a couple not this one I intentionally didn't see this one I remember watching uh, a fight. I may have been watching it with you. In fact, a, a UFC fight with Anderson Silva, and he oh. kicked a guy, and his leg snapped in right in the middle and wrapped around the other guy's leg. It just, and I remember thinking, I am going to be sick. And maybe you know, this is probably evidence why I should never be a doctor or a nurse. Um, but but I just, as I say, I, I find it fascinating that so many people obviously either went looking for it or thought that everyone else wanted to see it because it just was everywhere. And it was like, okay, no, no, no. Anyway, let's move along. I think we we just all want to keep shocking each other. Is that what it's gotten to? You know, I I was going to move on, but I think there's something to that because movies and entertainment and everything now has reached a point where we don't get shocked by much anymore. There's very little that actually shocks or surprises us or makes us really feel something good or bad and maybe that's it maybe that it's real and it's raw and it's like oh man and and now i you know i have that like endorphin buzz or something i don't know what it is anyway (laughs) uh speaking of basketball quickly uh there i don't think there's anybody who suggests that the toronto raptors have even a lottery 
winner's chance of winning the NBA championship this year, not with Golden State, not with Oklahoma City, not with some of the other teams. Do you give them any chance whatsoever? Well, I hate to say with it, Cleveland, based on, based on the topic that we just discussed, all of a sudden, I mean, the Boston Celtics are the reigning Eastern Atlantic champions and went to the conference final um, and were beaten by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I'll tell you this, even though Kyrie Irving is on that team, uh, few people know a lot about Gordon Hayward, but, I mean, he was he's, he's a guy that, you know, spent seven seasons in, in with the Utah Jazz, and this guy is a it probably was going to be their leading scorer. So all of a sudden, Boston becomes a very different team without him now. I mean, they spent, you know, I think it was a four-year, $128 million contract that they signed him in free agency. So all of a sudden, this, I believe, because I, I believe the, the Raptors are sneaky good. And I'll tell you why I think they're better than a lot of people think. The acquisition of C.J. Miles, I think, is going to be massive for this team. He adds that three-point shooting element that they've been kind of missing. Gerard DeRozan will always be a dunker and a mid-range shooter. Now, he's just not a great three-point shooter. But you add the likes of C.J. Miles, and there's a number of young players that we've watched kind of mature over the last two to three years, and like Pascal Siakam and, and Norman Powell. I truly believe they're going to be a top-three team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, but even if they win the Eastern Conference... There is no chance they can win the NBA championship this year unless Golden State's bus gets lost on the way to every game and Oklahoma City's entire team comes down with a season-ending groin injury. Well, I mean, Golden State got beat last night, and they got beat by a team that's going to give them a lot of troubles. And they're okay, so that means even Houston could beat the Raptors. This is what I find hard about the NBA right now is uh, I grew up a basketball fan. I just find that this league has becomes such a case of the haves and the have-nots. And and if you are not one of the two or three haves, it's very difficult to get a whole lot of confidence that you have a chance to win a championship. You could win your conference. You could win a bunch of games. I just, I'm not sure that I believe the Raptors have any chance at all to win the championship. Yeah, I, I, and I won't say championship, but I'll be honest with you. I, I think, I don't know if everyone's thinking win the championship. I think everyone, and I, and I mean this even for the Western Conference, the Western Division that is, that, that's really, really tough. I mean, and I think it's going to be even better this year than it was last year. And I think the East is a, a better conference than it was, you know, in, in the past couple of years. I think you're just trying to get to the NBA championship at this point. And, and, and hope whoever wins is beat up and you can, because the West is going to be even better next year when LeBron goes to the, the uh, Lakers. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I will say this as well, too. Last night should teach us a lesson that an injury to any of those top teams can change the fortune of them as well. They become very, very, uh, very vulnerable. I'll say if if there are injuries, and that may and that may well happen. All right, one more change of tack here because um, there was a story that uh, a report from um, from the uh, Drew Edwards at the Spec today that at Ticat practice, as they prepare to host or prepare to play Montreal this weekend, that Zach Caleros was not taking first-team reps, that Zach Caleros, it looks like, will not be starting in Montreal. They're going to go with Jeremiah Mazzoli. And can you possibly explain to me what the reason for that would be? Because I can't figure it out. You've got a guy who's making $500,000 that you would either want to get him some confidence going into next year or you want to make him look attractive to be a trade 
opportunity. Why would you not play the guy? What's the purpose of playing Mazzoli at this point? Because he's a starting quarterback. I, and, oh, I, I get that. And, and, and June Jones has committed to him. He clearly thinks that his skill set fits his offense more so than Zach Caleros. And I think he believes he has two very good quarterbacks. Um, but I also think that he believes the future is with this guy and not the other guy. Very much, very much like Kent Austin thought the opposite. Because there were so many times during that stretch of 0-12 for Zach Caleros, whether I'm watching games at home and on the road, or you know, or at BMO Field in Toronto, or at, at uh, I would say Ivorne Stadium, or at Tim Hortons Field, where I'm like, why wouldn't you try to put in Jeremiah Mosoli for a change of pace or to see what he can do? So, like most coaches, you have your guy. And for June Jones, remember, he, this guy's coaching for his future. I, and, you, and, and if he believes that this is, gives, if Jeremiah Mosoli gives him the best chance to win because he's going to be um, evaluated on you know, the most important thing, wins and losses, so he's going to go with his guy. Three reasons why that's a wrong decision. Number one, the season is over for the Ticats, and you basically, even if you lose all your games from this point, all you're doing is getting yourself a better draft pick. You can't get in the playoffs, so you may as well work on that. Second thing, Zach Caleros, you need to plump up his sellability, his his stock, so that you can actually get something for him and trade. And third, if you play Mazzoli, and as happens occasionally in football, in a meaningless game, he blows out his knee. Now you've lost him for next year, no, and then you say, you well, no, but, but the point, Bubba, is there are three reasons why it would make all the sense in the world to play Caleros and see what he can do at this point. And I just, I, again, I just don't see the reason Looking forward, looking towards next year, I don't see the reason why you wouldn't. Now, maybe he'll get some playing time. Maybe he'll come in at halftime. I don't know what. But the only thing I can think is that they somehow think that he wouldn't enhance his stock if they play him, and maybe they get more for him if he's not playing. That's the only thing that came to mind. There could be that thought. There there could be that thought, or just exactly what I'm saying. Or it could be that simple, that this is my guy. And like I said, just like Ken Austin, you know, despite their friction at times, that was his guy. Like and 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 there were like I said there were several times throughout this season and during that zero and eight run where Ken Austin would not change his starting quarterback and did not change his starting quarterback to I guess to a fault for him but to a fault it has worked for June Jones they have won four games and lost three. Jeremiah Masoli's win-loss record is better than Zach Caleros. hundred percent right. But what's the point now? Like because you can't you get into the playoffs. Games. Yeah, I know, but you want to win games. I f- for sure I understand that, but you can't make it into the playoffs. So this this goes back to me. I remember when Ron Lancaster was here, and look, who's going to argue with Ron Lancaster as a coach? The guy's a legend. But he had Danny McManus near the end of his career, and they were like one and thirteen, and he kept trotting him out there, and it was like maybe it's time to see what else you have or to see what your future is with this team. And uh, he never did. And it, and I always thought, I wonder how many quarterbacks came through Hamilton that never really got any playing time that might have been something, might not have been something, I don't know, but you wouldn't play them. Seems to me this is the time to experiment now because the playoffs are gone. I mean, it, it, I would say experiment if you didn't know what Zach Claros was all about. He, Zach Claros is ready. I think people already know what Zach Caleros is all about. And here's the one other thing that I've said, because I know I've, I've been asked this question before by other people out in the public, is that for all we know, 
And, you know, the Tiger Cats are very, very tight-lipped with things. For all we know, maybe a deal has been already been done. And you just can't risk getting him hurt. Exactly. Well, there, that now see, that there there's a possibility that you say, okay, that would make some sense then. Because that would he, make some sense then. Because looking long-term, uh, whether people like it or not, and I could be well off my rocker here, but I believe Never. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but a guy by the name of Johnny Manziel, I believe he's going to be here in Hamilton, as we've discussed before on and off uh, the radio. I believe he's going to be here. And at $540,000 next year, Zach Caleros will be with another team. Jeremiah Masoli is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. You could sign him for pretty much half of what Caleros makes, and I can't believe that Manziel's coming here for $50,000. You know, I think you may have just stumbled on the real answer here. That I think you may that it makes as much sense as anything else, that there may already be something in place and don't get... Now, we don't know. We don't know, but that's a, that is a great theory, and it actually explains something. And so, see, this is why we bring you on <laughs> for this level of analysis and insight, Bob O'Neill. Thanks for your time, sir. Always a pleasure. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. If you have been not unconscious today, if you've been up and around and paying attention to anything, you know that Gord Downey, who's the lead singer of Tragically Hip, passed away. He had a brain tumor. He had brain cancer. Uh, we've known that for quite a while, and he passed away today. And this has led to a significant, maybe huge outpouring from different people around the country, whether it be famous people or otherwise. And it also led to a motion today at Hamilton City Council that a plaque be installed at First Ontario Centre to honour the lead singer of Tragically Hip. Uh, As I understand it, and my next guest will be able to confirm this. I believe it passed unanimously in council. Uh, Councillor Sam Marula, who was the man who brought forward the motion, joins me now. Uh, Councillor Marula, thanks for doing this tonight. I really appreciate being here, Scott. Uh, yes, uh, indeed, it was passed uh, unanimously, and I'm proud to say that uh, City Council is, is fully in support of this initiative. What I'm wondering is, why a plaque? Why for Gord Downey? Well, quite simply, um, Gord Downey is a Canadian icon. I think when you look at what he's been able to accomplish only in Canada, because as you know, and most people know, uh, outside of Canada, tragically hip, didn't really um, pick up any steam. And they really truly are and made in Canada and only loved in Canada band. Um, and I can't think of any bands that same degree in my lifetime that had the same impact on our culture. Um, so having said that, when you, when you look at true Canadiana, the Tragically Hip and Gordowney, I think is uh, probably the top of the list in representing that. And you know what? I think you're pro- you probably are right. Or you know, we can have a discussion about that. But I, I mean, it's it. Look, it's it's. There are a lot of people who consider what you said to be the absolute truth, and so I'm not going to take issue with that. And clearly, him passing away today, he's a man who had a wife and he had children and he had people who loved him. It's a very sad day. There's no question about that. My only question about this, Sam, is. I'm wondering about the idea. There are a lot of people from this city who have done amazing things, who have either passed away or who have not, and who somehow seem to slide through the cracks sometimes. And I, I'm wondering if, 
I mean, I suppose it's an easier one today because of the newsiness of, of Gord Downey. But I remember a few years ago when uh, Councillor McCaddy was bringing forward the idea of a statue for Frankie Venom that got derailed, I think largely because of the cost. But Frankie Venom was the lead singer of, tra- of uh, uh, Teenage Head that's a huge Canadian band. And I don't think anything in this city has ever been done to honor him. And I, I guess I'm just wondering why... I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that, Scott, because um, if you were, were to go back into the archives, I did bring forward a motion about two or three years ago to create a Hamilton Hall of Fame Walk of Fame, and that was to incorporate Martin Short, Eugene Levy, as well as all Hamiltonians who have, who have excelled in their fields, including academia. Yes, yes. And it, so it's a work in progress. So staff are reporting back on where that walk of fame is going to be, and which will tie into exactly what you're saying. Um, so we're going to, we're, we've already taken care of the, the born in Hamilton uh, scenario. Uh, what, what we haven't done uh, is recognize the fact that the first, the first band to ever sell out two consecutive concerts at Cops Coliseum was Gord Downey and the Tragically Head. So it's a recognition to the fact that they were the first band to ever sell out two consecutive nights, coupled with the fact that when you look at their impact culturally in Canadiana, as I mentioned earlier, from coast to coast, there really, I, there really is no other example of anyone that uh, can fit that category. Look, I, I I really do believe that your intent was good. Your heart is in the right place. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm certainly not dumping on you for coming up with this idea. I just, as I say, it always seems to me that it seems so difficult a lot of times in the city to get things done to get local people on it. I, I I know that you and I have chatted before. The city has said it's going to be honoring Russ Jackson, and they've even suggested there's going to be a park. But that's been going on for two, almost three yeah. years now, and it's still sort of well, falling between, or it hasn't been done yet, and it, it seems like sometimes it goes very slowly. Well, I have to beg to differ, because I, I look at what I have brought forward myself when uh, Dominic Agostino was recognized at the Riverdale uh, Center. Uh, Pat Quinn, I recognized at Parkdale Arena. Uh, Geraldine Copps, I recognized in the new parquet on Kenworth Avenue North. The former MPP, Bob McKenzie, I recognized at the Crown Point Park uh, that was recently uh, developed. Um, so Bob Morrow uh, will be will be recognized shortly. Sheila Copps as well. We have a number of these issues that uh, are in the works over and above the Walk of Fame that I've mentioned earlier. So I think if you look at it holistically, I, I think you're wrong. Uh, but I guess anecdotally, you might be right. Let's go back to the Hall of Fame idea or the Walk of Fame idea for a minute, because I think that's a terrific thing, and it's something that a lot of cities have, and there's a good reason they have it, is because they want to, as you say, Martin Short and Eugene Levy and and Roberta, you know, whoever, whoever you want to have as as the people, academics or or whoever. Where does that stand as we as we're standing here right now? Where is it along in the development? Staff is in the process, and if you just Google it, just Google Samarilla. Eugene Levy or Martin Short. Oh, I remember you all, doing it. I remember yeah, it coming all the up. Story, the story will come up, and staff is in, in the process of developing uh, the actual framework. It, it, it's the complexity associated with taking an entire block and having a sidewalk or a wall along that sidewalk dedicated for it is a lot more difficult than it seems on the surface. 
Um, so, but they're working through it, and they are reporting back to council accordingly. And 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 it will, it is forthcoming. It's just it's imminently forthcoming. I just don't know where it is, um, what the status is presently. But we're headed towards obviously uh, landing that plane soon. Just before I let you go, and and is there a? I know there's a method. I know there is a a. Um protocol if you wanted to have someone named if you wanted to suggest having someone something yeah. named after somebody in the city is oh, there Dave Vanderchuk's another one up at the Dave Vanderchuk you're right yeah. of course uh is there any kind of protocol or something for the kind of thing that you did today so naming is more complicated I understand that naming a building or naming something is more yeah. difficult but for something like this is there a protocol that a person in the public can say you know what I really believe we should have X for person Y uh, is yeah. there a way to do that absolutely if you bring in a request the staff will assess it uh, they'll determine the merit of it of the request and then act accordingly but again Gord Downey as I mentioned is is probably um, has is, is in a level onto himself when it comes to Canadian the Canadian music industry, and he's the only one that's ever sold out two consecutive or well, the first sorry the first entertainer to ever sell out two consecutive shows at Cops Coliseum. So to to basically applaud the first at that particular uh, venue is is the first objective. The second objective is in memory of him. So I, again. Um, I think you, I know, I know that um, you, you can look at the downside of any issue, but on this one, clear across the country, I think, I think I'm on the right side of the equation. Councillor Sam Rule, I appreciate the time. Uh, congratulations on getting your motion through today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I will look. I, this is not about dumping on Gore Downey. That's not it at all. Even if we were going to ever dump on Gore Downey, and I'm not going to, it wouldn't be today. Just look at social media, look at everything else. There are many people that feel very strongly about Gord Downey and for the reasons that they have, and no one is saying you can't have that. No one is saying you shouldn't feel that. We're not going to tell people how they should feel about their singers. I just wonder, it does seem, and, and Councillor Marula is correct, I remember the stories about this particular Hall of Fame that they have been trying to get going, but... Again, maybe it's only anecdotally, but it seems to me it's been a long time that that's been in the works. And within hours of Gord Downey passing away, we're able to make this happen. And that, again, that could be anecdotally, but we should be having already something in this city for Frankie Venom. We should be having, you know what else is we don't have? And I've, I've written about this before and it's never changed anything. We, this week, this week had a dinner in the city of Hamilton honoring Wayne Gretzky and the 1987 Canada Cup. One of the top three most significant goals in Canadian hockey history. One of the most significant moments in international hockey history. That was at First Ontario Centre. There is nothing in First Ontario Centre marking that that is the place where that took place. It's been mentioned. It's been mentioned more than once. It's It seems very difficult. It seems the wheels to get something done, sometimes about local people, move very slowly. 
That's what caught me off guard about this one. Not that Gord Downey, not that we shouldn't honor him. If we want to honor Gord Downey, who's a great front man for a great Canadian band that many people loved, no issue with that. None. I just would love to see that the same speed, the same urgency, the same whatever could be done when it is someone from around here. Call me a, a defender. Call me biased. Call me hometown. I, sure, I'll take that. I'll take that. But as this discussion, and I, I applaud Councillor Marula for his idea that he proposed a couple of years ago for this walk of fame. It's long overdue. If you've listened to this show, if you've read what I've written in the paper over the years, you know that I push hard for these things. I believe strongly that it took way too long to get an arena named after Harry Howell. And that's actually a perfect example in my mind of what I'm talking about here. It was pointed out again and again and again that somehow the city of Hamilton had neglected to name anything after Harry Howell, the greatest hockey player ever from this city. Number retired by the New York Rangers, youngest captain of, at that time, youngest captain in NHL history. And we pointed out again and again and again that nothing, that he had been overlooked in his city. When did something happen? When it came out that Harry was suffering from Alzheimer's, it was amazing how fast everything could work. Suddenly, the wheels moved very quickly. And I believe that the people on council, I believe the people in the city want to do something. I, I don't believe they're trying to not. It's just, it's the, it's the urgency thing that seems to fall by the wayside sometimes. Frankie Venom? Who else? I wrote down a bunch of the ones here that um, that today that were... Now, where did I put it? But there's a bunch of locals that should have been on the list. Hayden Neal, Stan Rogers. Stan Rogers is a guy, a local guy, who was a guy who wrote about the Canadian experience. May not have been as well known as Gord Downey. Jackie Washington. What happens when Stompin' Tom, Leonard Cohen, I mean, they're not from here necessarily. It's just, uh, look, I, 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 have, I, I have no issue. The issue today is not with the fact that a plaque is being put up for Gord Downey. That's fine. That's good. What I'm hoping is that now that we've seen again how swiftly council can move, how swiftly these things can happen, what I'm hoping is that, and it's not just council, let me clarify, it's also staff, it's also city staff, council is reliant on them to do a bunch of stuff, but when we see how swiftly things can happen, I would hope that this is going to prompt the next time that we don't have to send everything back for study and everything doesn't have, there are people that should probably already have a plaque around this city somewhere. There's plenty of people that should already have some honor around this city somewhere. It's been done at times. When Dave Anderchuk won the Stanley Cup, city moved very quickly to name the Dave Anderchuk Mountain Arena. They moved quickly enough that when it was his day to bring the Stanley Cup to Hamilton, the arena was being renamed the Dave Anderchuk Mountain Arena. That did not take long. It can be done. 
I'm hoping today is a reminder for the future times again when we have someone who should be honored that we say, hey, remember how fast they were they moved on Gord Downey? Let's see if they can move that fast for some of the people from around here. And one more thing. I believe Councillor Marula is correct. I believe Gord Downey really is one of the best front men for a Canadian band ever. One of the most important, we want to call them important, musicians that we've had in this country in a long, long time. But within our city, there should be a multiple, a multiplier of importance when it's local people. So yes, Gord Downey definitely is. Gord Downey is someone that a lot of, go online, go to listen. There are so many people who feel important about him, but in our city, someone who may not be quite Gord Downey, but because they're from Hamilton, there should be an exponent added to their name to make, to bring them up to that level within our city. That I talked last night to you about the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame. That's why the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame is so important and things like it. Because it makes it's it does what it's supposed to do and honors people from here who have done amazing things and it does it very well. So the plaque for Gord Downey, no, no one's no one's arguing to take it down. No one's arguing it shouldn't go up. Council voted unanimously, no issue with that. Let's just see this same level of urgency, this same speed from staff, from council, from everyone else happen when it's other people from Hamilton who may not be quite as well known, but they are own, they're known here. This is their place. They should be honored here. Let's make that happen as well. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.